0: I wonder if you have ever met an enthusiast. Have any of you come across these infuriating people who want to talk to you about what they're interested in? Sometimes you have, judging by the hands that are going up and the looks on faces. Sometimes you find people who are very, very interested in what? A hobby? A hobby that's lasted a lifetime and... Looks as if it's bidding fair to last another lifetime as well. Some folk are enthusiasts about football. Have you ever met people like that? They know everything that's happening in the football world. They know what, what team has scored what goal, its position in the league, which league, and they will tell you all about it. And if you're within earshot, you'll hear about it. What they're interested in. And of course there are other kinds. They're interested in ships and aircraft. Some of the stranger ones are interested in Calmac ferries. (laughs) There are some very odd enthusiasts around. And I wonder if you can place yourself into that bracket. Somewhere there's something that makes you tick. Something that you like to talk about. Something that you like to do. That's the popular view of enthusiasm. But there is, of course, another kind of enthusiasm as well. It's the enthusiasm that lasts beyond hobbies and all these things that come and go. When I look at my own life, and I sometimes go into my library, which is far too big, I see all the different enthusiasms that I had even in my career. The books tell the story. Some have come, they've inspired me to do something, and then they've drifted away. And I've got on to another subject. But what about enthusiasm that lasts? Enthusiasm that's really meaningful and goes on. We can smile at the enthusiasts the hobby enthusiasts, people like me and others. But as I was here yesterday afternoon in Belong, it seemed very clear to me that we would not have had Belong and these events without what? Without the enthusiasts, the people who were prepared to put the push in for the long term, get the notices out and do the hard work, whatever it Took, and I was watching some of them at work planning the next belong while this one was in full operation. That's what I call enthusiasm and it's really wonderful and it doesn't ebb away. It stays, it stays, it stays. Isn't it just great when you meet people like that and it rubs off. It certainly does. I couldn't help but become more enthusiastic yesterday with all these youngsters all around me. And the people who were making it all possible, I felt I was being lifted up. And being almost reignited in my own enthusiasm. And we all need that. That takes me to the passage today. We meet a remarkable enthusiast. We meet the Apostle Paul. You can't touch the writings of Paul without realizing the enthusiasm that this man had for the cause of Christ. He was going with the message of Jesus, whatever it took. And when you read the opening verses of Ephesians, you realize how enthusiastic he was, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ for he chose us in him. And he goes on and he goes on and he goes on. And as my mother used to say, it lifts you off the ground. He's so enthusiastic and you can feel it coming at you in waves. And this passage which I have been given today is a hallmark of Paul's enthusiasm. In fact, it's really the core of it. He brings us to what makes him tick. It's as if he takes us to to his definition of treasure. He talks about riches in that passage. And it's as if he opens up his treasure chest and says, look at this. It's amazing to me. And treasure by treasure, he takes them out and he shows them to us. Amazing. Now I realize that in the time available to me, I'm not going to cover any anything, this passage in anything like the depth it deserves. It's beyond me. It's too big for me. But I want you this morning to take away some of the treasure. And I've put it on slides up here so that you can see them see the items in Paul's treasure chest, even if I don't mention every single one. The treasures that Paul thought significant. First of all, we've got the treasure of grace. God's grace to Paul was something that made him marvel. And he mentions it so many times, even in this one passage. He was so enthusiastic about it that he broke his own sequence when writing this letter. You can see it there. For this reason, I, Paul, the, apostle, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then suddenly he swears off onto this. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace to me. Wow. The administration of God's grace. By making him the apostle he was. This is what's important to him first and foremost. The grace of God. Not something that was forced upon him. Not something that somebody said, you must have, Paul. But this wonderful grace of God that came to him when he least expected it and lifted him and raised him up and made him an apostle. What a wonderful thing grace is. Do you remember the last time I spoke to you, we discussed a hymn Amazing grace. And John Newton was just like Paul. He discovered this, that God's grace spoke to him in the middle of a storm. And it turned him into a minister. And Paul wants us to know about God's grace in his life. God comes to us in grace when we least expect it. And God's special revelation. This is something that he was amazed at too. Something that had been hidden, not fully shown in the past, but was now being made real and apparent to him and to the apostles and prophets. He was astonished at this. And what was the mystery? The mystery was that the gospel was to go out, not be restricted to some sort of ghetto, but was to move out, as we said at the very beginning, from Jerusalem, to the uttermost parts of the earth. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and share us together in the promise of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not restricted. It's not for one culture. It's not for one group of people. It's for the world. And it crosses boundaries, and it changes hearts. As Melville Crossway was reminding us, last Sunday, it makes a difference. And this wonderful, special revelation, this mystery was made clear to Paul. It's amazing. I often think of it. Should we expect a revelation like that from Paul today? Perhaps not because we're not asked to be Paul's, but we are expected to respond to God's word As it's proclaimed from us, we have for us. We have the scriptures, and we have the word we're reading today, and the mystery is being revealed to us. The wonder of God's grace in making the gospel move around the world, jump over boundaries. It never ceases to amaze me that it does that. It's a wonderful, wonderful mystery. And the great thing about a mystery is it's not the kind of mystery that's never solved. It's not that kind of mystery. It's opened up. That's the great thing about the mystery here. But it also has another part to it and that is that it's still to be realised. There are parts we don't yet know about the greatness of God's purposes and his plan for us. Paul had latched onto this and it made him so powerful as a preacher. The great commission had been applied personally and he was going out with it. And then there was that special commission from Paul himself. It's interesting how he comes to this, this treasure that he has of the special commission. He's not telling us that he was the man for the job, is he? He's not saying, I was the great guy, I had a hundred doctorates, I was the boy for this. He had all the training. He tells us that elsewhere. But what he tells us here is that he was the leaster. he was leaster than the least. He was small fry and he wasn't worth it. But somehow God's grace had worked in his life and it made him the person he was. Although I am am less than the least of all God's people, this what? This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What a commission that was. It was truly wonderful as well. And it was in his treasure chest. That special grace that special revelation, that special commission. Wonderful treasure. And I ask myself, in my treasure chest, the one I keep hidden, we've all got one like that, have I got these in there? Would I take it out and show you? Could I? Hmm. Very, very interesting to ask yourself that question. What are your treasures? And Paul talks about these treasures that he has in his treasure chest. What about a modern example of this? We may think it's Paul, we may think that's far away, but this is happening around us. There are people actually who pick up special visions. And I think of mercy ships, for example. You know about mercy ships? Somebody called Don Stevens in America... In Colorado, of all places, got a vision. And the vision was of a hospital ship. There in landlocked Colorado, a vision came to that young man as he was growing up. And it wouldn't leave him. And even in his difficult family circumstances, the vision was reinforced. He and his wife had a child who was disabled. And he realised again the importance of care and of hospitals. And he shared his vision until it became a glorious reality. And today there are hospital ships that take the practical outworking of the Christian gospel to Africa and to different ports and people with problems, people who need medical care and are denied that because of their location or whatever, come in droves to these mercy ships where God's mercy and love are shown in abundance. And that's the latest ship. And what a vision is behind that ship. A wonderful vessel, just recently completed, and gone to Senegal. A vast hospital ship. And it started with this quiet, special commission to Don Stevens. God is still working at that. And this, in the world that Eric described so eloquently in his prayer, this is still happening. And I rejoice in that. It's wonderful. This is one example. Among many, you could find other ones mission aviation, fellowship, and so on. We could go on and on because of these wonderful ways that God speaks to key people, and they go. Let's move on. More treasure. We get to the very depths of it here. God's riches in Christ. We were talking to the young folk about the treasure that some people think exists in chests and so on. (coughs) But Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I first heard this phrase, and it was a puzzle to me when my father used to preach in a little church in Tyree. And I noticed that every time he mentioned this phrase, his face lit up. Because it was the driving force of his preaching. The boundless riches of God's grace. The many times I heard this, and my father had no real ambition to go beyond what God had told him to do, and that was simply to preach the gospel in the islands of the Hebrides. That was enough for him. He didn't want to go anywhere else. He knew what God had called him to, and he went for that, and he stayed there until his health gave way. This was Paul too. But in the process of putting things into practice, he discovered the riches of God's grace. And he goes on about this. He pulls them out of his treasure chest. The riches of God's grace. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The incomparable riches of grace. He can't stop talking about that one. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I'll leave that to Scott when he comes back. But this is the treasure as it comes out of Paul's treasure chest. It's really quite remarkable. One of the things that I find fascinating with people like Don Stevens is how they see treasure in things that we don't imagine. And they watch the treasure coming in lives that are touched, in changes for the good, even in a bad and difficult world. And he experiences, as he goes on, more of the riches of Christ, because without these riches, there would have been no mercy ships, and there would have been no mercy for any one of us. And then that is a theme. I think every one of these themes that I've put up, they could do sermons in themselves. And I'm just running over the outlines today. And then the treasure of God's purpose for the church. Ah, we think of the church so often as an institution that's sometimes stone bound in mortar and whatnot. But the vision that Paul has of the church is one that connects earth and heaven. And there's an element of mystery in the other sense here too. His intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I was listening to the Sunday programme this morning. I don't know if any of you heard it. And not often do I enjoy the Sunday programme, I have to say, because it tends to be itsy bitsy. But this time there was a theme that seemed to be running through it, and it was the problems of the church being identified too closely with particular cultures on this earth, particular human purposes. And that was restricting the nature of the church and what it could do the name of Christ being used to change people's cultures to bring them into other forms of culture and the church somehow becoming so earthbound now I don't profess to know the ins and outs of that one passage but I do know that it presents a very different vision of the church from what we so often see and think. This is a church which Paul envisages, and he's being part of it, going out with the message. He envisages that this church will make the, even some of the powers in heaven waken up and take note. Not all of them know the gospel, but they have to know it. And the church and the way that we are receiving the gospel, responding to it and reacting to it, is going to make a difference on earth and in heaven. Mystery there of the other kind, but think about it. Go back, and with these headings, how we deeper dig into the treasure chest of Paul. God's purpose for the church. You know, we get so bogged down with church these days. We bring the problems of the world into the church and we start to change and somehow we lose focus on the thing that is all important, which Paul sets out here with crystal clarity. This commission that he had to go and preach the gospel. That doesn't change. It doesn't change with culture. It doesn't change with time. It doesn't change in spite of all the fancy things and strange arguments that we bring into the church. It remains as priority number one. Then he moves on. He moves on to God's desire that we should come to him through Christ in freedom and in confidence. That's a glorious thing. Have you done that? Can you come into... God's presence in freedom and confidence. Ah, this is a great blessing, a great treasure in a world of turmoil and disruption and uncertainty. Paul says, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. What a lovely, lovely ending. That's one of the treasures in Paul's treasure chest. What's treasure? Just read through Paul's passage here. Through this, second, this, the, the, through this third chapter of Ephesians. In the first half of it. And it will recalibrate for you what is important and what is real treasure in life. We conclude... What an enthusiast Paul was. Even his sufferings, he was enthusiastic about them. I'm amazed. When you read through Acts of the Apostles and realize how many stones were thrown and how many times he was in prison, and oh, and yet these sufferings for Paul are like water off a duck's back. Yes, I'm sure he felt them. He couldn't have done anything else but feel the sting of a stone flying at him and hitting him on the head or wherever it did. But what does he say right at the end of this passage? I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Wow. That's something. Mm -hmm. Very challenging for me as well. Am I an enthusiast like that? Oh, yes. Yes. Enthusiastic about some things, perhaps the wrong things. I'm very aware of that. But as we consider the enthusiasm of Paul and his treasure chest as he opens it up for us, how about our own? Are you jaded, weary, losing your shine? The treasures, the things you once thought treasure, not terribly attractive now. It happens. It's happened to me and I'm needing to sort it out. Do you need to rediscover your calling? Or even to discover it for the first time, what God wants you to do? Get into his way of thinking and get, in, get into his treasure chest. If so, you're no different from me. I found this passage very, very, very thought-provoking. It's a dynamo. It's a treasure chest. It makes you think your priorities out again. But when you do that, let me tell you something. You can feel the power of it, as I can feel it this morning, even as I'm preaching to you. It makes a difference. So perhaps, my dear friends, as we conclude this morning, not really plumbing all the depths of Paul's thoughts here, but giving a note, having a a better grasp I trust. What we all need to do is to let this passage sink into our minds and hearts and souls so that the enthusiasm bubbles out and we all belong to an enthusiastic church. It's always sobering to me to realise what enthusiasm means what does enthusiasm mean? We use it in a very secular way, but actually, if you go back to its origins, it means en in God. Enthusiasm is in Godness. It's a great word when you think of its origins. So I conclude by simply asking you, how is your in Godness this morning? You enthused? I hope you are. And if you're not, perhaps start with me and try to recover it. Amen. Let's sing together in conclusion.